Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Did you know that some aspects of the tribulation actually have positive benefits for those who will be living during that time? Welcome to A View from the Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here with Joe Kerr, and we have the opportunity to talk with Bible prophecy expert, radio host, and author of The Now Prophecies, The Next Prophecies, and the latest book in the series, The Last Prophecies. His name is Bill Salas. He's been a guest with us before. And Bill, welcome back to A View from the Wall. Hey, Joe and Dylan. It's great to be back on the program. Last time you were on the program, we discussed the now prophecies and the next prophecies, and we have many new watchmen who weren't here for that first discussion. So as we get started, kind of give a brief introduction to the series itself before we dive into this latest title that you've released. Yes, this is an end times book series that attempts to chronologically sequence in order the unfulfilled biblical prophecies between now and the second coming of Jesus Christ. We've got three books now. It looks like we're probably going to have to go forward because there's quite a few unfulfilled prophecies remaining. So the now prophecies we started with, and those are the prophecies that can happen now. At the present time, they lack any preconditions. They're very important. It's like Noah had a now prophecy. He needed to know when a flood was coming. Joseph had a now prophecy. He needed to know that there were seven years of plenty that would precede seven years of bad famine. We have certain things we need to know now also this generation. So that's the now prophecies. The next prophecies follows that. They have a few preconditions. They're stage setting presently, but they they do have a few preconditions that need to be fulfilled before they can find their turn in the sequential line. And then the last prophecies, we get into the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, that dreaded seven-year tribulation period. I attempted to do a, a whole book on the seven-year tribulation period, but it turns out there's about three times as many prophecies to go over, and the book would have been so thick. We're trying to keep these in, you know, easy to read, 240-some-odd pages to 300-page books. So I decided just to do the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. That's the essence of the last prophecies. Do you believe, like we do, that at any moment the rapture will take place and millions of Christians will be taken from earth to heaven to be with the Lord forever, and many will suddenly disappear. That's going to affect our world in a dramatic way. So tell us a little bit about how this unfolds in terms of the tribulation scenario that will happen at that time. Right, and that's an unprecedented supernatural event. All of a sudden, the disappearances of an untold number of Christians, true believers, which have the one thing in common, all the people who disappeared, they had the one thing in common, they were Christian believers, that's a supernatural event, unprecedented in the history of mankind. And you've got Christians scattered throughout the whole world. Now in Turkey, which is 99.5% Muslim, they may not know the rapture happened until they find out in the news you know, a day or two later. But in America and in parts of Europe and, and like some third world countries as well, even in Iran, you've got a lot of Christians now. Uh, these are key people in many places. Uh, you know, you've got political leaders in America, you've got people, policemen, you've got first responders, firemen, etc. All of a sudden, these people are all going to just disappear. They're not going to show up for work. Uh, there could be, you've seen the Left Behind, many of your uh, listeners have seen the Left Behind series, the movie, you know, planes crashing, cars, you know, running off the road and wrecks and, and all this sort of thing. You, you know, let your imagination wander, people, because when millions of people just disappear without warning, 
uh, that's going to you know, change the world dramatically. The supernatural will become the natural. The paranormal will become the new normal. And other things, I, I qualify that in the book because at that point, Satan is going to start un- unleashing supernatural deception. We talked about in Second Thessalonians too. So it's going to be a really big event. And someone who's inquiring, one of the target audiences who will get saved after the rapture, one of the common denominators you're going to notice is that all the people who disappeared were believers. And they're liable to go look for some Bibles and figure out if the Bible talked about that. And they're going to find it. They're going to find it in First Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18 about the rapture, and in First Corinthians 15. They can also see in John 14, 1 through 6. So there's no shortage of, of scriptures that talk about the rapture. You're one of the first to talk about the gap theory, and what you just described leads right into that, because after all those Christians are suddenly discovered missing, there's going to be chaos like you described, and you believe and teach, and we believe that as well, that there is a period of time from the rapture until the next main event. What's that next main event? And explain the gap theory a little bit. Yeah, a couple of things on the gap theory. Um, First of all, you qualified it. We're not talking about a gap between Genesis 1 and 2. There's also that gap theory that there was a time between when Satan fell and, you know, the earth was created and that sort of thing. We're not we're not going there in this conversation. We're talking about a gap that happens after the rapture, before the seven-year tribulation period, also known as Daniel's 70th week, starts. And that's because it's not the rapture that starts that seven-year time clock ticking. It's a confirmation of a false covenant between Israel and some other party, and this is alluded to in Daniel 9.27, in Isaiah verses 28, chapter 28, verses 15 through 18. That's what starts the false covenant. I mean, the tribulation, it's that covenant uh, in Daniel 9.27. So there's a gap. Now, I didn't invent this theory on the gap. Most all of our colleagues understand it's not the rapture that starts the tribulation, so they subscribe to a gap. And in some cases, some of the notables, like Dr. David Reagan, Gary Stimmerman from Prophecy Watchers, myself, and, and Mark Hitchcock believe that gap could be for a period of time, maybe even a couple of years. And, and you can imagine that if, with the disappearance of millions of Christians in a supernatural event, anything that would happen during that period of time, whether it's one month, one year, two years, it probably won't be very long, but it could be a couple of years, is going to be uh, not business as usual. It's going to be supernatural. The world is going to be in chaos. Supernatural deception will be out, being outsourced by Satan. So what I dared to do in the next Prophecies book, and briefly in the last Prophecies book, is to step inside that gap. Because a lot of people know about it and will talk about it, but no, no one's really dared to step inside of it and experiment with what might fit in there. And I found what I believe were some prophecies that probably we can take out of the seven-year tribulation period as a catch-all clause, a misunderstood prophecy, and move it into this gap and see if it fits. And I think I think there are some things that do fit in there. But the gap is an important thing to note because there will be people who can come become believers after the rapture inside of that gap, but they will be martyred because after the rapture, I mean, they run the risk of being martyred. It doesn't mean everyone will. But after the rapture, you have three different periods of Christian persecution, which I hope we can talk about in the show. But, uh, you know, it's... it's it's a prompt right now, if you're listening to this and you're not a believer, uh, don't take your chances. The rapture could happen at any given time. You can get left behind. And you can think, oh, there's a gap. Maybe I can sail through that gap until this dreadful tribulation. No, not so. You, know, you need to be saved now before the rapture because martyrdom will happen from point, you know, the day afterwards pretty much that quickly. So we're just trying to warn people to get saved presently at the present time. 
We hope you've been enjoying our time with Bill Salas today, and we'll talk more after this break at A View from the Wall. Stick with us. From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. It is said that for every one hour that you are extremely angry, your life is shortened by a day. Proverbs 29.22 reads, A hot-tempered man gets into all kinds of trouble. Isn't that the truth? When we're angry, we tend to say what we shouldn't say and do what we shouldn't do. The truth is, when we lose our temper, we lose. We can lose respect, friends, our witness. Let prayer be your response to anger. When you're angry at someone, remember that Jesus loves that person and died for that person. What you get upset about shows the depth of your character and the level of your spiritual maturity. Visit imawatchman.com for free resources designed to help individuals grow in their spiritual walk and guard their witness. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. imawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. We are here with author Bill Salas of The Last Prophecies. We want to get into this idea of the character of the Antichrist and what he is going to be doing during the tribulation. And now we know that Satan has always planned to defeat God's plan, and he frequently mimics and twists what God does. So it's not surprising that the Antichrist emerges at the midpoint of the tribulation. And we want to talk a little bit about that. Get us started in what the Antichrist does, who he is, and what the Bible says about him. Well, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of kings and leaders listed in the Bible. Of course, more than any, it's Jesus Christ, you know, the, the great king of kings, lord of lords. But, you know, there's King Nebuchadnezzar, there's King Cyrus of Persia, there's no shortage of kings mentioned. But this king, this final political leader, uh, religious leader as well, military leader as well, he has a threefold career, has a lot said about him, probably more than anyone else apart from Jesus Christ. And so he's going to fulfill a very dominant role, and he's going to be known as the seed of Satan in Genesis chapter 3. And his, his time in the sun is going to really primarily happen after the rapture and getting into the tribulation period. And so you have, and initially, he's involved in the gap and in the first half of the tribulation, but not so much in a leading position, but more of a subservient position. He comes on the scene in Revelation chapter 6, the first seal is open as the white horseman. He embarks upon a threefold career, like I said, military leadership, because he's involved in a lot of wars in Daniel chapter 11. He's a political leader because Israel will trust him to broker that covenant. He confirms the covenant in Daniel 9.27 as a political leader uh, that starts the tribulation. And then he also becomes a supreme religious leader, which takes us into the midpoint of the tribulation when he, when he starts to uh, want the world to worship him and implements his cashless society. But prior to that point, He's actually involved with the harlot world religion, the global religion coming called Mystery Babylon in Revelation chapter 17, Ecclesiastical Babylon of the end times. And what happens is it says that, that they call it that mystery religion, the uh, harlot world religion, a harlot. It says the harlot rides the beast, referring to the Antichrist. It says that the beast carries her to her heights in Revelation 17, 7. So this person is involved early on in this unholy church and state matrimony with the harlot world religion, the counterfeit bride, and the counterfeit Christ, they, they come together, but in the middle of the tribulation, things get really 
crazy because what happens is he has, he lines up with 10 kings that will be put together in power at that time, and they will hate the harlot, which will in Revelation 17, 16, and desolate her. They get rid of that global world religion and convey all of her wealth and all of their power and authority to this beast, this Antichrist, in the midpoint of the tribulation. At which point he then rises to power. He goes in the middle, he goes into Israel. He kills two witnesses. There'll be two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 preaching the gospel. Some of us think that could be Moses and Elijah back on the scene. And then he goes into the temple. There'll be a Jewish temple at that time and creates what's called the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel. And it's, it's also echoed by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 24 verses 15 and 16. And then he comes into the scene, aligns with the false prophet, comes out and starts trying to commit genocide of the Jews, the worst genocidal attempt in their history, in Zechariah 12, uh, 13, or 12, 8, one of those two verses says two-thirds of the Jews will be cut off in the land by this guy, his genocidal campaign. And then he goes and he implements, with, he gets together with a false prophet, and he starts implementing his caste society. It says in Revelation 13, no one will buy or sell unless they take a mark upon their right hand or on their forehead. You know, the number 666, the image of the beast, that all shows up in Revelation 13. That starts to happen in the middle of the tribulation. So he has a three-and-a-half-year period of time at that point until the end of the tribulation when Jesus will come in the second coming, and he will take this guy out, this Antichrist and the false prophet, that will be cast into the lake of fire, and, they will, and Jesus will single-handedly defeat the armies of the Antichrist as well at that time. Antichrist is responsible for a lot of mass murder during the Revelation, you mentioned the martyrdom earlier, and I'm glad you brought that up. So clarify for us, you, you referenced three specific periods of tribulation martyrdom. What what are the differences in those? Yes, the Bible seems to be pretty clear when we talk about the three different periods of Christian martyrdom. We're told in the fifth seal of saints, Revelation uh, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, you have these saints under an altar that are killed, I would say, in that gap. That light appears to be when they're in there, because they're asking the question, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They've been martyred for their faith. It says he opens a fist seal, and there's these martyrs who uh, died for their faith. And the response that the Lord gives them is that you must rest a little while longer until your fellow, your fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as you are is completed. So there's three periods of martyrdom, people dying for their faith. So the harlot world religion is involved, in my estimation, with the martyrdom, because she comes on the scene first, and it says that the harlot in Revelation seventeen sixteen is drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. And then so she comes on the scene, and she's martyring the fifth seal saints, and then it says the fellow servants of the fifth seal saints are also being martyred, so I would say she's also martyring them. And I put them in the first half of the tribulation. Now, just for your listeners, no one's teaching it this way, and no one's broken it down this way. I'm pretty comfortable with what I'm saying, but I want you to do your own homework on this. So you've got the harlot is martyring in the gap that fifth seal saints, they're dying for their faith. The fellow servants of the fifth seal saints, and this is in Revelation 6, verses 11 and 12, if you want to read about it. The fellow servants are also being martyred by the harlot in the first half of the tribulation now. Now we're in the first half, three and a half years of the tribulation. And their brethren, the brethren of the fellow servants, are being martyred in the second half of the tribulation, not by the harlot. Remember, she's taken out in the midpoint of the tribulation by the ten kings. Now they're being martyred by the, the Antichrist himself. We're told in Revelation chapter 20 that he's actually beheading them 
uh, if they don't take his mark uh, and be part of worshiping him and in his cashless society. So, uh, you know, the reason I point out the three different distinct periods is because someone who gets left behind is going to have to go through those three different periods and try to survive. And there's a pretty good chance that they're not going to survive. And that's why we were certainly trying to warn them about these events that are forthcoming, but also pre-warn them not to even be involved in that and take their chances. Because right now, as we're recording this show, the church is still on earth, and Christ has got his open arms ready to embrace anybody who wants to receive him as the Savior, so they don't have to go through these three periods of terrible martyrdom. And remember, giving your life for Christ at that time, dear listener, is not going to be the popular choice because there's going to be strong delusion that people would be believing what's called a lie in Second Thessalonians 2. But also, you make that choice for Christ, there's a strong chance you're going to be one of these three periods of Christian martyrs. So you will probably be martyred and have to choose against the grain of the popular choice of deception, whatever that lie is going to be. So we're trying to warn you now, that's coming. Accept Christ now, and you can avoid that in the rapture because we're not appointed to that period of time. The wrath of God comes out in that time. We're not appointed to that as believers in Christ. Well, I hope you've been enjoying what you've heard from Bill Salas, and we're going to take a quick break and be right back to talk about us as the terminal generation. So stick with us here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall comes from I Am a Watchman Ministries, established to help individuals know the love of Jesus, enter into a relationship with Jesus, live for Jesus, tell others about Jesus, and prepare for the imminent return of Jesus. We want to inspire the body to live a life of meaning and purpose. And at the coming judgment, hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The wise will strive to live well so that they can finish well, the prudent will work to be aware of what God has done and what prophecy notes he will do in the days to come. In support of these goals, the I Am A Watchman ministry is happy to make available at no cost a wealth of discipleship, prophecy, and spiritual growth resources for those who desire to learn and those who are called to lead. Find out more by visiting our website, IamAWatchman.com. That's IamAWatchman.com. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. We've been talking with Bill Salas today about some of the aspects of the tribulation, including those who will come to faith in Christ after the rapture, which is a fascinating and also difficult situation to talk about because those who become believers during that time will face unprecedented persecution. We can only imagine some of the conditions that will take place during the tribulation. Some are told to us in Scripture. Others we would not even be able to handle if we were told now. But we want to talk a little bit about how things that are happening today are influencing and leaning toward what we will see take place during the tribulation. We call these the technologies of the last days. And Bill, if you would, what role does technology play in the tribulation? And even with the Antichrist, as we talk about some of these future events? You know, this is a really important topic. And I actually cover this in an entire chapter in the last prophecies book, because you, you know, these prophets, when they spoke, these Hebrew prophets spoke 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, et cetera, even the apostles, John, a couple thousand years ago, and Paul, they were trying to explain to us events that were going to happen in our lifetime. And we've got all these technologies surrounding us in our lifetime and in the final generation time, which we believe could be us. Um, they were trying to explain to them in the vocabulary of their time. 
They do not have airplanes. They do not have internet. They do not have TV and global communication satellites and that sort of thing. And yet, some of the things they've said clearly seem to be they were explaining technologies that exist today. So one of the key places you start is in Daniel chapter 12, verses 4, where Daniel talks about a time where uh, knowledge would increase and people would travel to and fro. And that's the case right now. Now, that knowledge, of course, you've got the information age, the technologies of the Internet. You can find anything you want on Google and YouTube these days, how to fix anything pretty much at this point. He was also alluding to also, I believe, the discernment of biblical prophecies, that we would see the stage setting and be able to say knowledge is going to increase on the understanding of those things. And also, you know, these days a guy can study his Bible online and search things out with the buzzwords and uh, bullion searches that no, the old Old Testament, I mean, the people in the olden days could not figure it out. I mean, they would not be able to go and find out all the things we can find out right now. Every time the word's used about, you know, uh, the Antichrist or the beast, where we can find that all the time just by searching it. So the, that discernment, that information age, et cetera, and also the travel. The summer last year, I was in uh, Washington one week and, and Australia the next week teaching at different churches. So, you know, the airplanes and that sort of thing. But also, you know, John gave an example of, in Revelation chapter 11, about two witnesses that were going to be tormenting all the people on the earth. They'd be preaching, it seems to be in Jerusalem, uh, and it says that the Antichrist is going to kill them, and the whole world will see them lie dead in the streets for three and a half days, it's Revelation chapter 11. But then they resurrect and ascend to the astonishment of the world, but people used to say 100 years ago, the Bible can't be correct because there's no way the whole world could see two dead witness, the two witnesses dead in the streets of Jerusalem. That would have to be an eyewitness account. You'd have to be in that local vicinity. But that's not the case right now. Uh, these don't have to be eyewitnesses accounts. These these people from the world, it says they're so tormented that when they these two witnesses are killed in the streets, they're rejoicing, they're giving gifts because they think these guys are gone and their plagues are done. And, you know, you don't have to be an eyewitness account of that. You can see it on your cell phone. It can be, it'll probably be replaying over and over on the news, on YouTube, etc. That's just one of the technologies. There's so many other ones as well. Um, so, you know, the technologies are important to figure out what were these guys talking about and do we have these technologies in place today? And if we do, if all the technologies are in place or, you know, in their formulative stages, it's an indicator that we're at the end. You know, the technologies they were trying to describe, if they exist today, they were describing the last day's prophecies and technologies, and here we are watching these things unfold. You mentioned that in reference to the terminal generation. I'm glad you brought that up. We've had a number of guests, Amir Sarfati, Jan Markell, Jack Hibbs, all talked about that concept. Explain what you mean by terminal generation. You addressed that in several chapters. Right. Um, that's a very important point. And I, I think Jan, I actually quote Jan Markell in the book, uh, who's got some very good sayings on the terminal generation. You know, the, this earth as we know it has an expiration date. And it culminates in the final seven-year tribulation period that we've been talking about. And what the book covers the first three and a half years of the last prophecies covers the first three and a half years of that period. But the point is, that generation that goes through that final seven years, it's terminal for them. And in, in Webster's, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the word terminal is defined as extremely or hopelessly severe, occurring at or constituting the end of a period. So for the, the final generation... The conditions existing on the earth will indeed be extremely and hopelessly severe, as the definition says, and they won't be able to reverse, they won't be able to change what's going to happen because it's foretold these are prophecies that are going to happen. Now, so the terminal generation, the question is, 
are they existing today? So I make the distinction between a final generation and a terminal generation. The terminal generation is going to find themselves in the final seven-year tribulation period. However, they won't necessarily be seven, six, five, four, three, two, one years of old. They could be alive right now and get left behind. So we look at, well, what's the... If, We'll be able to determine what was the final generation when we see that the tribulation has started and that terminal generation exists within it. You have to backdate whatever generation is for the final generation. So it gets a little complicated. I do some math in the book. But the point is, final generation is not necessarily the terminal generation. The terminal generation is that final subset within the final generation. So that when someone is asking, are we living in the final generation now? Uh, the chances are pretty good. We see all the technologies in place and the, the relationships forming. The weapons are fashioned that these prophets were talking about. Um, but are we are we the terminal generation? You know, it could be that there's another 10, 20, 30, 40 years left on this timeline, but that final seven is going to be the final terminal generation. It's over. It's severely, it's hopeless and it's extreme. It's severe and it's the end of the period, the end of the earth. Bill, we so much appreciate all this wisdom you brought to us about Bible prophecy and what happens during this tribulation period. We only have about a minute or two left. And if you would, as we wrap up today's program, talk to our watchmen who are listening. Give us a word of encouragement about the role and responsibility we have as members of what could be this terminal generation. Well, as you can see, as you study Bible prophecy, that the end times prophecies are all stage setting. Some are about to unfold and happen, especially in the Middle East. A rapture could happen at any given time. There's more said about this final generation, the times in which we live in, than any other time period in the Bible, even when first Jesus first came. Because God wants this information to be known by people, not because he's trying to impress us, but he's trying to inform us. He's, he's not trying to show off. He's showing up in the prophecies. He's coming to you saying, listen, here's what I want you to know. And the natural the, the natural response should be thanking him for caring and volitionally wanting to worship him. God knows the end from the beginning. It says in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, things that have not yet come. This is one of the certificates of authenticity, is he can tell us the end from the beginning. He wants us to know. As a loving father, he wants us to know. And and the, the good news is Jesus is going to come. He's going to rapture his church out before the wrath of God comes out in the tribulation period. And then he's going to come at the second coming. He's going to get rid of the Antichrist and, the, and, and, you know, set up the Messianic kingdom after that period of time for a thousand years. So that's the good news. The bad news is there's a lot of stuff spoken about that we're trying to warn you people about that they don't want to experience. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to go through this sort of stuff. You want to give them the good news. The good news is that they don't have to go through it while the church is still on the earth. And then the good news is that if they do get left behind, there's still hope for them. So that's what we're trying to lay out in this book series, that there's hope right now, but there's also hope after here. But don't don't take your chances and wait till the aftermath of the rapture when the stuff gets bad. Well, I love your emphasis on that word hope. And today we're unfortunately out of time, but join us next time because we do have a part two that we'll be re- releasing with Bill Salas, and we want you to stick with us and get more information about that. But we want to thank you, Bill, for being with us this week. For more about his ministry, go to prophecydepotministries.net. That's prophecydepotministries.net, or catch us at iamawatchman.com for more information about today's program. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to being with you next time on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. 
The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.